Well, my name is Tim Bedall, and I've got the great privilege of serving here as lead pastor. And for some of you right now, you're wondering what in the world is going on. As I shared last week, Amanda and I had the opportunity this last week to be in Arizona. Well, surprise, surprise, we're still here. Uh, due to the weather uh, in Chicago that you guys were all dealing with, uh, it has become impossible for us to get back. But I want you to know what an amazing week we had. We got to visit areas like Sedona, Arizona with the beautiful Red Rocks. And of course, uh, no trip to Arizona is complete without a trip to the Grand Canyon. What a great week Amanda and I have had and are having. Well, in light of the late notice of our flight being canceled, I didn't want to put someone in the hot seat and have to prep a sermon last minute. And with the joys and opportunities of technology, we're just going to have our preaching like this. And so I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been in this series that we've entitled The Good Life, and we have been looking at the life of Solomon, who writes this book as an old man. Now, during his life, Solomon had everything that anyone really could ask for, the power, the prestige, the, the pleasures of what seemingly would be a good life. And yet at the end of his life, he comes to this realization that he hasn't found what he's looking for, the fulfillment and satisfaction and contentment that the world advertises can be found, he didn't find. And he writes this book, Ecclesiastes, as a cautionary tale for us to know where to find the good life. And what we've been learning throughout this entire series is that the good life, I mean, the really good life is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, we can try to find the good life, as Solomon says, under the sun, or we can enter into a relationship with the God who created us. And we can see from his perspective what the good life is all about. And so this morning we find ourselves in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, uh, verse 15. Now we studied the first part of this chapter, and we're going to pick up where we left off. And what Solomon's going to articulate in this is that there are some key truths we need to know about the world and the lives that we live that are going to impact how we pursue the good life in our lives, in, in the moments and the daily activities that each of us face. But before we do that, would you pause for, for a moment? Let's ask God's blessing on our time together in a moment of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for the opportunity to uh, study God's word and to open it and glean its truths. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our church through this series. I thank you for the lives that are being changed. And now, Lord, I pray as we open your word that you would continue to transform us. Lord, this is a special week for us as a church. Uh, we have dozens upon dozens. I, I believe, Lord, well over 100 teenagers at fall camp, and they're going to be making their way back in, in the next couple hours. And I pray that that time at fall camp uh, just was awesome. Lord, I pray for the spiritual uh, decisions that were made. I pray for the fun activities that were had by all. Lord, I pray that you would continue to impact the lives of our students here at VBC. Lord, also as a nation, we'll be going to the polls. And I pray, Lord, as in another election takes place, that you uh, would do your thing, that you would have your way. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to vote. 
and the opportunity we have to choose our leaders. And I pray we would choose wisely. So be with each and every person as they enter into that voting booth. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless the decisions that are made and that you would move us in the direction that you would desire for us as a nation. Lord, we thank you again for your word and how it changes us. And we ask now a blessing upon it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, we have the opportunity to open once again the book of Ecclesiastes. And as we do, as I was studying this passage, the thought of fortune cookies came to mind. Did you know that 3 million fortune cookies are eaten every day, with over 4 billion being eaten annually in the United States of America? It is a staple for every Chinese food experience at the end of the meal to get that Pac-Man shaped cookie with that little note inside. Now, would you believe that almost all of the fortune cookie messages that you read come from one individual? That individual is one of the executives from Wonton Enterprises and his name is David Lau. Now, now David is a guy that writes these messages um, that hopefully serve as a way to get us thinking. Now, he says most of his messages in the fortune cookies come from his viewing of the experiences of life. As a spectator of life, he sees, and he says most of them come from watching children, that he wants to get us thinking. Well, that's what I believe uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is doing, and most especially what Solomon's doing in our text today. You see, what Solomon's going to do is he's going to get us thinking. And in some very short little pithy, if you will, statements or proverbs, he's going to move us to begin to ask some really tough questions about ourselves, to understand the world that we're living in. And so what I want to do is look at this text, as difficult as many commentators say that it is, I want to look at it and hopefully boil it down to some truths that we're able to understand. Now, speaking to the difficulty of our passage, one commentator said this about our passage, and I think it is so apropos. He says, this is one of the passages that says preachers pacing in their studies, wringing their hands, asking the question, what does it mean? How do we preach it? The temptation will be either to skip over it altogether or to preach on just a few verses. This is one of the more difficult and perhaps one of the most notorious passages in all of Ecclesiastes. Yet, it is an extremely relevant passage that deals with some of the most perplexing questions we face. Why do some people die young while some criminals live to a ripe old age? Therefore, it would be worth our while in that of the church to put some hard work into understanding and proclaiming the message God sends us in his word. That's what I want to do this morning, is I want to take this very difficult passage and bring it down to the clear message that I believe our Lord and Savior is wanting us to know and to apply to our lives so that we, in fact, can live the good life. And so let's look at a couple of these proverbs that pack a punch. Number one, Solomon says this, life isn't fair. Let me say that again, life isn't isn't fair. It doesn't take a child very long in this world to come to the same conclusion that Solomon did. Now, notice what Solomon says in verse 15. Look at the text. It says, in my vain life, I have seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs 
in his life of evil doing. Right from the get-go, Solomon packs a punch with this thought. Our lives aren't fair. Now, we can get all upset about it and worked up about it, but the simple fact is clear. Life isn't fair. Now, we've seen it over and over again. Some people are born with good looks and others, like your pastor, are not. Some are born with a silver spoon in their mouth and others are born into poverty. For some, they experience a good, long, healthy life and still others find it with great difficulty because of the medical conditions or the issues that they face on a daily basis. For some of us, we've had it easy. For others of us, we've had setback upon setback. Maybe we've been beaten up or abused by others. And we wonder, why is it that seemingly some have it good while others have it bad? Now, what Solomon does is he sweetens the deal of the, if you will, the craziness of the statement by saying, the good have it bad. They die young while the evil prolong their life and their evil doing. Here's the fundamental question. Why is it that some who live their lives so well have it so bad? And why is it that some who live their lives so sinfully and so arrogantly and pridefully seem to be able to coast on by? What Solomon's wanting to do is he's wanting to get us to think, to recognize that one of the reasons why we can't find the good life in this world is because it isn't fair. It, it, it isn't a fair broker. It, it isn't equitable in, in its dealings with us as a people and as a society. Now, notice what he says starting in verse 16 through 18. He says, okay, so what is the answer to this lack of fairness in our world? He says then, be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this and from that not withhold from your hand. For one who fears God shall come from both of them. Now, wait a minute. Did I just read Solomon right? Solomon said that what we should strive for in this world is wisdom. And he just told us very clearly in black and white that we don't need to be too wise. But even greater than that, he just told the church, he just told every Christ follower for the rest of uh, this time in this age, they shouldn't be too righteous. There are some kids right now saying, I like that verse. I like what that verse says. The next time I do something bad, I'm going to tell mom and dad, hey, the Bible says I don't need to be too righteous. But what Solomon is saying is quite profound. What he's articulating is that we should not view our godliness, our righteousness, as a quid pro quo. What I mean by that is we should not say, I'm going to be righteous, because if I am righteous for God, then God will be good for me. I, I will be holy for God, therefore God will make me happy. Uh, I will uh, be faithful to God, and therefore God will make life fair for me. Listen, that's not how God works. Now, other religions teach that in Hinduism and Buddhism. We have this concept or this doctrine or dogma 
called karma. You do good and good is returned to you. You do bad and bad is returned to you. You serve good, and when you're reincarnated, you'll be reincarnated in a good place, in a good standing. If you're evil, commit crimes and hurt those around you, then you'll come back as a lower creature. Well, listen, while that might be popular in those two religions and faiths, it is totally contrary to what the Word of God says. What Solomon is articulating is something very, very clear. He says, listen, your godliness is not going to make you immune to the things that this world faces. No amount of faithfulness will make this world any fair. And we need to recognize that because some of us right now, let's just be honest, maybe some of the reasons why we do the spiritual things we do is in the back of our minds, we believe if I do this, God will in fact do that. Solomon says that's not the case. Stop pretending with your faith. Stop projecting a false sense of security in the sense that your fairness in life is going to be created by your faithfulness in life. Now notice, he goes on and he says this is also true of wisdom. And what he's saying is don't make yourself too wise, and that is you cannot outsmart circumstances. Do you understand what I mean by that? You can't outsmart, you can't outwise the troubles that we face. There are certain things in this life that you'll never be prepared for. There are certain things in this life that you'll never take or have a grasp on. I've said this over and over again. My life has been defined by a singular event, the death of my brother. And though my parents were wise, though they were righteous, they were not immune to that death, to the great difficulties that they would face. No amount of wisdom, no amount of righteousness was going to get them through that. They needed to recognize that at times it sure would seem that life isn't fair. And let's face it. If we're really honest, that statement, that little message in this book rings true in our lives. Yes, Solomon. Yes, world. Life isn't fair. But why? What is the reason for it? Well, notice he moves on to the second, if you will, little fortune cookie uh, meadow, motto or, or, or statement or message for us. And the statement is this, life isn't fair because the system is flawed. The system is flawed. Listen, the cards in some ways have been stacked against us. As we look at the inequities of life, we need to not blame God because that's surely what we do. We get a bad medical report. We, we get a bad um, grade in a class. We have a friend backstab us, and, and we say right away, God, it's your fault. God, it's, it's your problem that you've created. But the Bible is very, very clear, and it's clear in this passage as well that it's not God who's to blame, but we are. Notice what Solomon says in, in verse 20 of our text. He, he says the following. He says, surely there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. You see, the problem in our world today isn't God. It's us. It's our sin. And in fact, twice in, 
in this book, we are reminded that we are crooked and that we aren't straight. That is, we've got this bent to us that keeps us from walking the straight and narrow, if you will. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 1.15, if you just turn a couple pages back, you will be reminded that what is crooked can't be made straight, and what is lacking can't be counted. If you remember back to our time, you would remember that um, I showed you a picture of an unfinished puzzle. And I showed you that life is like that unfinished puzzle, but the problem is we don't have enough pieces to finish the puzzle in this world. You see, we've got a problem. The system is flawed, and the flaw is not God, who's perfect and who's amazing and who is greater than anything anyone could ever ask for or imagine. Our flawed system is because we are flawed. The Bible says we are sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we bring this flawed nature into our world. And notice how it comes out. Notice in the text, first of all, as a result of it, quote-unquote, good people face great troubles. And that's what makes life not feel very fair. Let's remember our study out of the book of Genesis when we looked at the life of Joseph some years ago. This young man who seemingly was faithful in every situation, even when times of temptation came or troubles came, he was faithful and, and uh, incident upon incident and moment upon moment. People abused him and beat him and knocked him down and, and brought great inequities into his life. It wasn't that he was bad and that he had done something wrong that had created it, but the world that was flawed was bringing trouble his way. And so we see the world's flaws in the troubles we face. Number two, we see it in how we treat one another. Notice in the text, uh, he, he goes on, Solomon does, and he, he says this. He says, do not take to heart all the things, I'm in verse 21, by the way, that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. What Solomon says is we know this world is flawed and how we hear people talking about us. No doubt you've had someone at some point, whether you've known it or not, who's backstabbed you, who's shared biting words behind your back, who hasn't given you a good word of critique that we learned about last week, but biting words that cut down. And in your anger, you say, that's, that's not fair. I don't deserve that. And Solomon right away says, but wait a minute. You, just like that other person, are flawed. And he says, just as you point one finger at the person who's wronged you, there are many fingers pointing back to you. You see, the way we treat others, and that's why there is no peace and there's war. That's why we face issues like racism and, and hatred. That's why our newscasts are filled with murder and theft and rape and abuse and assault. You see, our world is flawed, and it's flawed because of sin. But notice, we see this flaw in our lives in one final way. Yes, we see it in the troubles we face and in the way that we treat one another. But third and finally, we see it uh, in the way we're tempted. Solomon gets really personal 
And he articulates very clearly in our text where he is tempted. He says this in verse 26, and I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Now, maybe you're new to our study in the book of Ecclesiastes, but let's just be honest. Solomon had women problems, not woman problems, women problems. And it wasn't on the fault of the women. He had brought them into his life. He was known to have hundreds of wives and even more concubines. This guy couldn't get a control on his libido. And as a result of that, he put himself in places and in situations that ensnared him. And, and every time you and I, like Solomon, face temptations, we are reminded of the truth that we live in a flawed world. We live in a flawed world that, listen, that we too add to. So we need to be careful as we go back and look at how unfair life is and recognize that what Solomon is saying is, yes, you and I will face troubles. Then we'll say it's not fair. But haven't we also brought troubles to other people? Just even our sense of existence as finite and broken individuals, we don't live up to our commitments. We don't do what we say we're going to do. We hurt people with our words, the way we treat them, and, and we can be the tempted, and at times, yes, we can tempt others to do things that we shouldn't do. And so we find out that, yes, this world is flawed, and life isn't fair. Well, the third little message we pull out of this text that Solomon wants us to know is that he wants to remind us that wisdom is finite. Wisdom is finite. So here we are, and we're living this flawed existence that makes no fair distinctions. And it would seem from a cursory view that if we just used our heads, we could figure this thing out. If we could use the wisdom that God gives us, then everything would be okay. Let us be reminded that Solomon is the wisest man to ever live, second only to Jesus Christ, of course. And Solomon says in the text, notice in verse 25, he says this, I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. He says later in the text, I couldn't find it. You see, wisdom is finite. In other words, Solomon's immense wisdom couldn't be the answer for what he was looking for. Solomon's wisdom and the brains behind it could not address the issues that loomed large in Solomon's existence and ours as well. Now, this is so important to our study out of the book of Ecclesiastes, because as we've been doing this study, it would be easy for us to simply say this, get wise and the good life will come. Now, there is some truth to that, that wise living can or might or could lead us to the good life. But listen to me, folks, we don't worship wisdom. That was the, the error of the Greeks in the New Testament. We need to be people who see that wisdom is a tool that God gives us so that we might encounter 
the good life instead of a life of foolishness. And so it might be easy to think that all we need to do is to take on wisdom. And don't get me wrong. Wisdom has events, immense value. We're told in verse 19, look at that. Wisdom gives us strength. It, it gives us so much strength and so much brain power that it's like 10 wise and smart leaders of a city. Wisdom is important. As a father of three, I want my boys to be filled with wisdom. But listen to me, wisdom has its limits. You and I can't figure out life on our own. We don't have enough brain power. We don't have the spiritual capacity to find the good life by using our heads or the wisdom from failed experiences. And that's what verses 28 and 29 say. None of us can find it. Not one in a thousand men or women are going to be able to find the good life through wisdom alone. And so, my friends, this passage leads us to one final fortune cookie message. In this immense passage of Scripture, we are reminded of this truth. Yes, life isn't fair. Yes, the system is flawed. Yes, um, the system that is flawed needs an answer, but the problem is wisdom isn't finite. And that leads us to the key. The key is faith. The key is faith. This is where our lead, our text leads us to communion. As believers, we know that we are lost because we live life apart from Christ. But now Christ has given us new life in God, new life in Him. And, and He's given us sight to see from a new perspective, not to look from the earth and look what's under the sun, but to see a heavenly perspective from above the sun, to look down at the small lot of who we are and recognize that, yes, apart from Christ, life will always be fair, unfair. Uh, apart from Christ, life will always be frustrating. But when we put on Christ and we make him our goal, Christ says he will give us the abundant life we're looking for, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Re remember, friends, that what God did in sending Jesus was he sent heaven's answer to a world that was lost. In some weeks, we're going to sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Brothers and sisters, when God sent Jesus Christ to this earth, he sent the answer. He sent the answer because God knew better than any of us that life isn't fair. God knew better than any of us that the system was flawed. God knew more than anyone that our wisdom was finite. And so he sent the infinite one, the matchless one, the Messiah who would come. And so this text really, as difficult as it is, is a text that is a microcosm of the entire gospel. We who are broken, we who have need, we who don't have the answer, have now been invited to bring Christ into our lives, to bring Christ into the world. And if we'll do that, God doesn't say that all our problems or all our circumstances or all our issues will be resolved. But what he does say, is I've got a great many things promised for you. And if you will trust me, if you'll depend on me, 
then I will lead you in my wisdom. And instead of walking in the dark, I will lead you in my light. I love what, what Ecclesiastes writer Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, that we lean not on our own understanding, but we allow him to show us our paths and to make our paths straight. Some of us are at the end of ourselves, and we need to give our lives to Jesus. For some of us, we need to invite a new Jesus into that so that we no longer will try to live this life on earth. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and prepare our time for communion. And as they come and as they play, I, I want you to just take a couple moments and prepare your heart and be reminded of what Jesus did so that he might be the answer to our unfair and flawed lives that we live and that he is a better answer to the finite and foolish things we think will answer the most perplexing questions today. Take some time, my friends, and prepare your heart to be reminded what Christ did so that you and I might live and have the good life. <laughs> 